It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study Virus is database brought to you has this time updated. each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 17th, 2011. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here across the table from me. Dad, welcome to the program. Jacob, great to be with you. We look forward to a good study on the Virtual Bible Study. And we look forward to your participation in the Virtual Bible Study as well. The number to call is toll-free, 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And join in the uh, chat room with other listeners tonight. That window is to the right of your video feed. If you're watching us live, uh, sign in there. You can give yourself a pseudonym or a nickname, and you can participate in the program in the chat room tonight. We look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. We've got an interesting program uh, planned for tonight, an interesting discussion. Jacob, we have a guest joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight by phone. Uh, Dr. Martin Thielen uh, is joining us. Dr. Thielen, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you tonight. Uh, You are the minister of the uh, United Methodist Church in Lebanon, Tennessee, I understand, but also soon to be moving to Brentwood, Tennessee. Yeah, I've been in Lebanon now for almost 10 years, and uh, this summer we'll be making a transfer to Brentwood. Okay. The reason we learned of you and and made contact with you for our Bible study tonight is that uh, in the Nashville, Tennessee, in this week, but also uh, several other news uh, sources have picked up on a book that you recently wrote. The title of that book being "What's the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian," uh, and and we were intrigued by that title, and we've. We read the article in the Tennessee, and I've not yet had a chance to get your book or read it, um, but I have read several, uh, oh, I, I guess, reviews of it and so forth. There's quite a bit of talk about it out there on the Internet, and, and so we, we thought our listeners would be interested tonight uh, to hear your point of view. Uh, tell but, us a little bit about how you came. Yeah, the topic, sort of the, the subject of your book or the title of your book is uh, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, you certainly. You know, I, I think if you were writing a book, one of the things you want to do is get a title that grabs people's attention. And I believe you have done that successfully with the title of this book, for sure. Well, it's a provocative title, and, and there's a there was a risk, and, and I knew it, and the publisher knew it, that some folks would immediately think that it's about minimalist Christianity, but it's really not. The, the book title is is literally a direct quote. If you see, the, if you look at the book, it's in quotation marks because it is a question was actually asked to me. And, and if I, why don't I just tell that brief story? Is that okay? Yeah, please do. All right. Uh, this goes back years ago. I met a young man by the name of Danny. And Danny, I, I mean right out of the chute, we're shaking hands. And he says, Preacher, you need to know I'm an atheist. Don't believe in God. Don't believe in the Bible. And I can't stand judgmental, you know, narrow-minded, uh, self-righteous Christians. And very few people talk that directly to you, but I kind of liked the guy because I, I was refreshing honesty. And we actually became friends in spite of our very different faith uh, perspective. For a guy who was an atheist, he sure wanted to talk about God a lot. And we had many conversations. About six months later, Danny said to me, Martin, I think I'm going to upgrade from an atheist to an agnostic. <laughs> and so that was a big step for him. Uh, months later, he said, I've had an epiphany. I really don't reject Christianity. I reject the way it's been packaged by very judgmental and closed-minded folks. And then very soon thereafter, in kind of a holy moment, in a very serious moment, he said, Martin, I think you've just about convinced me on this faith thing. And that's when he asked this intriguing question. He says, so, what's the least I can believe and still be a Christian? And that has rattled around in my brain for a lot of years. Uh, I finally I preached a series of sermons around that theme and then recently wrote a book and released a book. And 
I won't say a lot more. You may have some questions, but the book is divided in two parts. Part one is some things that, from my perspective as a mainline Christian, which is probably some different perspectives than the more conservative Christians, although I'm certainly not a liberal, there are some things you don't have to believe. And I list down everything from, you know, you, good Christians don't doubt. Well, of course, good Christians doubt, and we see that all the way through the Bible, to some more controversial things uh, for some people, like, uh, you know, uh, women can't be preachers. Well, in my tradition, we think women can be preachers, etc. So that's the first half. The second half is really the heart of the book, and that is, well, what do you need to believe? And it seems to me if you cut to the chase and get to the bottom line as Christians, well, you have to believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus' life, teachings, example, death, resurrection. I mean, I believe completely in the literal resurrection of Christ. And the book, though, is not about theology as much as it says those beliefs really answer the big questions of life, uh, not simply, but profoundly, about what matters most, about what brings fulfillment, struggling with about suffering and is there hope. And so that's the whole book title started with that conversation, and it's just a way to get into those kind of issues. Uh, uh, yeah, Martin, as we as you made that uh, distinction, and you even categorized some things you don't have to believe and some things you do have to believe, obviously the Bible doesn't have a list like that, so you compile the list. When you were making the list, where did you draw the line, and how did you determine things you needed to believe to be a Christian and things you didn't have to believe? Well, uh, like I said, the second half is pretty simple to me. We're talking about Christ, about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, so that was pretty simple. The other half, uh, the first half, I'm sure is a little more controversial for some folks, is uh, I guess I have some, I do have some disagreements with, with extreme uh, fundamentalist religious religion around gender issues and, and other things. For example, in my tradition, uh, People, there are people in my church who would who would be uh, who would affirm you know uh, creationism that God created the earth ten thousand years ago in six literal twenty four days that's a perfectly valid Christian option but there's a whole lot of people in my church both here locally and in my denomination who would say you know we don't really know maybe God created the world through billions of years of evolutionary process the word for that is theistic evolution. It is not an atheistic evolution at all that God created the world, but did so in that manner. I think that's an option. I think that's a viable Christian option. So uh, that's just an example. Well, let, let, let me go to one that I think may be the, the most core issue, as I see it. I mean, there's, there's several there that I have questions about, but I want to ask you about the one that you mentioned. You said, we do not have to believe that Jews won't make it to heaven. And then uh, with some explanation, the ultimate destiny of non-Christians is in God's hands and God can be trusted to do what's right. I, I believe the last part of that emphatically, God will do what is right. But Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Uh, John eight twenty four. except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Uh, how do we get around if we believe in Jesus? And, and certainly, you know, you said that the core belief is in Jesus. We've got to believe in Jesus. If we believe in Jesus, how can we not accept what he said uh, in those verses that I just referenced, that he is the only way to make it to heaven to be with the Father? Well, clearly, I want people to know Jesus. Uh, evangelism is a huge part of our effort here. Uh, we've, re we've grown pretty dramatically, even though we're in a fairly small town, primarily by reaching people who are unchurched or have been out of church for many, many years. So I want to clearly say, uh, whether people live in Lebanon, Tennessee, or in Africa, or in the Middle East, I would like, I want them to know Jesus. All right. Uh, I guess what I'm, uh, that question you ask is not something that we can really unpack in two or three minutes. Uh, but the church from, from early on, the church has debated whether some of those verses, I am the way and, and the only way, is absolutely solid doctrine or is more poetic in nature. Like when I tell my wife she's the most beautiful woman in the world, well, is that literal or is that poetic? And I think Christian, good Christians disagree over that. And there's a lot of people in, across the world who have never had a, a viable option to, to really know Jesus. If you, if you lived in Saudi Arabia, uh, you're just not going to have a viable option to become a Christian. Uh, the only time you'll ever hear Jesus, you hear he's the, the Western uh, God of American militarism. And, and uh, there's there just no, and I guess there's a lot of Christians who say, perhaps in the mercy and grace of God, those folks are going to have some kind of a chance. Well, the, thing, 
But the thing, Martin, the, the thing that I would say about that is if there is a way, God hasn't revealed that to us, and we can't, we can't, with the backing of Scripture, we can't teach that. And if there is a mechanism by which God will save those who don't believe in Jesus, although Jesus said otherwise, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. Yeah. No man comes to the Father but by me. But let's say that there is, that God in his, in his infinite wisdom has, has a plan in place. He never revealed that to us. So don't you think we're going way out on a limb if we, if we begin to teach that and suggest that that is something uh, that, that people can hold to? Well, you know, I guess I would argue, I mean, we can, we can go tit for tat on Bible verses all day long, obviously. I mean, Romans talks about how nobody is without at least some understanding of God and that they will be judged on the light that they have. And so I think that there needs to be a place. It's just hard for me to believe that a loving, compassionate God like Jesus who puts children out of his lap and loves them. And they grow up in Saudi Arabia and never have a viable uh, option to become a Christian, that they are condemned to hell for all eternity. That this doesn't sound like the kind of God that I know and love yeah. and serve. Okay. And I, I think I get the bigger question is, when you really get down to it, we would have to talk about biblical inspiration, because because I do not affirm a biblical inerrancy, uh, which I think you probably would, and that's okay. I think Christians can disagree on that. I believe that what the Bible teaches that God, the Bible is God inspired and God breathed, but I think there's human involvement in there. I mean, the, if you, the early writers thought the world was flat, uh, for example, uh, they thought slavery was okay. They 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 had they were they had limitations of their day. Paul told women. Uh, to be silent in church, and well, our women all the time speak and, just and sing in the choir and the like. And so there are historical human involvement. I believe the Bible is divine and human, and maybe that's where we would. So, you, you, in other words, for instance, when Paul wrote in First Corinthians 14, "Let your women keep silence in the church," you believe you would take the position. I'm just asking for clarification. Now. I understand. Uh, uh, you would take the position that that's Paul's cultural upbringing, being influenced in the things that he wrote, and that that is not. The inspired instruction of God is that? Would that be your conclusion? I would think that we have to keep we have to keep a very open mind about that because Paul tells women to submit to their husbands, and a few verses later he tells slaves to submit to their masters. Now we don't promote slavery in the 21st century, so I don't think we should promote women as second-class citizens. So, yeah, I do believe that there is some historical human involvement in Scripture. I think you see it in the Bible when Luke writes his Scripture. He begins by saying, "You know, I did all the research." I listened to the story, I talked to the eyewitnesses, and I wrote this. Well, there's very human involvement. I believe God inspired it, but I believe it is a, a combination of both of, uh, divine inspiration and human involvement. And so I think Paul was a product of his day. And then at that point, at that point they were not questioning the ethics of slavery. Uh, women were basically considered property of men, and I think Paul had his best moment when he said there is no male or female or slave or, or, or free. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we made we probably have an honest disagreement about our understanding well, of Scripture. If you had if you had the occasion to interview the Apostle Paul today, would you challenge him on those points? Would you would you say, Paul, come on now, we know better than that. Uh, here we are. To, I come, you know, in other words, you're, you you have some kind of opportunity to talk to him in some kind of time warp. And, and you say, I, I live 2,000 years later. We've come to deeper and fuller understandings of things. And, Paul, you were just off on that. I mean. Uh, well, I think Paul was off on slavery. I mean, I, I believe that. I do not believe slavery is in the ultimate will. God. Do you yeah. also believe he was off on the issue of homosexuality? You, that was one of the things you said we do not have to believe uh, on the issue of homosexuality. You, Paul made some very uh, stern uh, comments about that as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. you believe that uh, he was off on the homosexuality as well? I think that is such a complex issue that it's hard to talk about in a few minutes. I, you know, the church is undecided on that, at least my church is, I, I, uh, that Basically, it seems to me there are three positions uh, on that question. The first is the religious right, who are very unequivocal, that homosexuality is complete sinful uh, and very harsh and very judgmental and oftentimes very mean-spirited toward gay people. I, I know they're not all that way, so don't, don't, don't hear me saying that. But the religious right has wounded some people. You know, I've had people sit across my desk who love Jesus and who have cried and wept and they're tore their heart out. They don't want to be gay, 
but that's the way they're wired up. I don't pretend to have the answers for that. But well, let, the, let me just real quick finish. The religious sure, right sure. has a position. The religious left is the complete opposite. They say uh, homosexual activity is fine, is, you know, et cetera. They don't have any problems with it. And my church is right in the middle who is struggling on the fence. And I don't pretend that's a perfect position. But we say homosexuals are absolutely welcome and, and the church, that they are people of value and worth and loved by God, and we're not going to hate and condemn and, and have evil things to say about them. On the other hand, my church is not ready to say homosexual behavior is acceptable, so we're not doing gay weddings, we're not doing gay clergy, and that's where we are. And we, but we're struggling with it and, uh, and talking about it. Well, just for clarification, Martin, I want to make sure you understand us on that point. I mean, your statement, we... God loves straight people, but not gay people. We don't agree with that either. We believe, we believe God loves all people, uh, and and He loves homosexuals as well as anybody else. The, the, that's not in question. Uh, the the question is, you know, as, as you said, still being debated by the Methodists. We think the question is answered in Scripture, but we would differ on that. But we believe that the homosexual lifestyle and the homosexual act is is sinful and condemned in the Scriptures. Real quick, well, yeah, actually, that's that's the position currently of the United Methodist Church. I, I just want you to know that we're we're still talking about it, we're still debating it. Yeah. Because the same verse that talks about homosexual being an abomination, you know, a few verses over it says wearing a garment that has two different kinds of uh, of linen and cotton is an abomination to God. And so someone has to ask the question. You know, we grapple with those things. So why do we pick one and not the other? Why well, do we say, well I, I'll answer you on that real quickly. I'm not going to go to that Old Testament passage to find the condemnation of homosexuality today. I'm going to go to New Testament teaching on that. But uh, let, real quickly, I, I, we've already kept you longer than I promised that we would, and so I, we're going to we'll try to let you go here in just a minute. But I wanted to ask you, just in sort of in summary, you said you've mentioned that. Uh, the, the sort of the harsh judgmentalism of Christianity is a turnoff to people. I, I, it seems to me that that's sort of the core of of the of what's in your book. You know that. Well, and, and let me let me speak of that because I came from the Southern Baptist Convention. Those people I love. They introduced me to Jesus. They loved me like family. They educated me. They gave me uh, wonderful opportunities of service. I taught in their seminary. I worked at denominational headquarters. And the rank-and-file folks in that denomination are absolutely wonderful people, and I have no beef with them. But on a national level, the leadership became, and this is my opinion, hardline, pharisaical, judgmental. They destroyed people's lives and careers, called them liberal when they were very much pretty conservative folks. And that mean-spiritedness has turned off a whole generation. They just did a study. Uh, 20 years ago, 7% of our population had no religious affiliation. Now that number has jumped to like almost 20%, and, and the research has shown the number one reason that that has, has become such a huge percentage of the American population is they have been absolutely turned off by the hateful, mean-spirited, judgmental spirit of religious right fundamentalism. Okay, but that's now- why I'm writing, I'm writing this book to say there's another option than that. I love people in the religious right. But I have a different story. It's a much more open-minded. It's a much more modest one. I don't have all the answers, but I don't think that that uh, religious right fundamentalism is the only Christian option. When you stand That's on when you stand on what you that you believe the Bible teaches, though, aren't people going to interpret that as being closed-minded and judgmental? I and mean, when you see a Bible truth and you teach it and and you and you demand others accept it and and uh, change their lives, aren't people that don't agree with you going to see you as closed-minded and judgmental? Uh, perhaps so, but then then you have to ask the question: Which Bible teaching are you talking about? I mean, the Bible, for example, is not consistent on divorce. There's places that says you can get a divorce for any reason. You cannot ever get a divorce, or even Paul suggests that, that those who are married to unchristians are not bound. And can't. I just don't think it's that black and white. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, uh, this judgmentalism thing, Martin. In all honesty. Aren't you open to the criticism that you are being judgmental of those that, in other words, you're talking about on your blog, you mentioned extremist, closed-minded, religious right. That seems like pretty judgmental language. How, how How do you answer the critic who says, Martin, you you're casting off on those that you disagree with for being judgmental, sure. but it sure so- sounds like sure. you're being judgmental. It's a fair question. And I, what I have learned, I, I'm pretty much right in the middle 
theologically, and, and which which means I get hit. I mean, I read an article for the Huffington Post the other day, a very liberal organization. I don't even know. I never heard about them until I read an article. It's quite interesting because I'm used to getting hit from the right, <laughs> but I was taking it from the left, so it was kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I, I went to Vanderbilt for a while. I, I can tell you that the extreme liberal left can be just as judgmental as the extreme religious right, and I'm somewhere in the middle, and, and I have to be careful that I am not overly judgmental on my part, and I will not deny that I have some baggage. I have seen the most mean-spirited, hateful, vengeful people I've ever met have, have been the folks who, who took over and basically destroyed my old denomination. Only a handful on the national level, and I'm still dealing with it. I'm still trying to forgive them and not become the opposite of that on the other side. I don't want to be there, so that's a fair question that we could grapple with. Okay, real quickly, and I'm, we're going to let you go, but real quickly, we had a uh, some questions from some of our email listeners. Uh, I'm just going to pick out a couple. I'll just get, give them rapid fire and let you answer rapid fire. Uh, Don in Antioch, Tennessee, ask, uh, um, if someone new to the Christian faith asks you for something to study that would help him to understand matters of salvation, would you recommend your book? Uh, absolutely. I have a whole chapter on do, 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 do mainline Christians believe in getting saved, and our answer is absolutely yes. Uh, chapter 21. Okay, and uh, what version of the Bible is there? The which of the many versions best supports the things you teach in your book? Any any view on that? No, I think all versions have strengths and weaknesses. I tend to use the NIV the most. Uh, uh, I don't I don't think anyone has a, a market on that. We don't have the original manuscripts. People have, have done their best at interpretations, and I think uh, there's not a whole lot of difference in my opinion. All right. Uh, then we had a, a, an email question from Paul who says, uh, he asked if you believe in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures, and you, you pretty much said already that you do not uh, believe in the in, inerrancy of the of the inspired scriptures. Uh, but he references Second Peter 2, 1, false prophets also arose among the people, and there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, well, let me, let me just reply that I don't believe I'm a false prophet, and that the, and the whole concept of uh, biblical inerrancy, as we know it today, didn't even exist until about 1850 or so. The Church has, uh, I mean, Luther, the great reformers, questioned uh, some parts of Revelation, of the book of James, etc. So this is a pretty new, uh, the Bible doesn't demand that verbal, plenary inspiration of the Bible is a part of the Christian core. It's simply not. You want to go back to the earliest church, you go back and look at the Apostles' Creed, there's nothing about biblical, verbal inspiration of the Bible. I have a huge view of the Bible. I would not be a preacher if I didn't believe in the Bible. I stake my life in the Bible. But that doesn't mean everything is literal. There's a story in the Bible in Kings about the prophet walking down the road, and some boys are teasing him for being bald, and God sends bears and rips him and kills him and murders him. That's not the, I think that's a campfire story that the ancient Israels told their children to, to engender respect for holiness. I don't think it's to be taken literally. If I had to take everything in the, in the Bible literally, I would have a God that would be very difficult to love and serve and, and, and uh so, well, now, yeah, we I, I, I got to say, I disagree with that conclusion, but I'll leave it at that. But real quickly, are there false teachers out there? From, from Paul's question, are there false teachers who bring in damnable heresies? Are there any? I'm sure there's false teachers on the right and on the left and in the center. And ultimately, I'm going to have to leave that judgment to God. It's awfully hard to know, uh, absolutely, you know, who's right and who's wrong. In the end, I think most of us are on the same team. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I believe people need to be saved. I believe in evangelism and, and, and discipleship and growing in faith. And I think we have a whole lot more in common than we do disagreements. All right. Dr. Martin Thielen, the book is uh, What's the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian. There's, uh, a, there's a subtitle that's an important part of the book. It's called A Guide to What Matters Most, guide to which what is matters. Jesus Christ. And I assume that that book is available on Amazon.com and some other it, sources? Yes, it is. And actually, it's uh, for, for, for my publishing house and for religious books, it's gotten off to a pretty dramatic start. They're already five weeks after it's been released. They're doing a second printing, and so it's catching on. And uh, 
you know, and my voice is not the only voice out there, but it is a voice of moderate Christianity. It's a voice of mainline Christianity. And I just wonder, your, I know your audience is probably more on the conservative end, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, but our voice on, on where I am is also a viable Christian option. Martin, thank you for joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. We appreciate you sharing your time with us on this Thursday evening. All right. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. If you'd like to comment on what we've talked about so far, the number to call is 877-381-4567. Let us know your thoughts on the phone tonight. We're going to take a break and give you time to call in. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. We appreciate Martin for his time, but perhaps you have some thoughts about the things that he said. Let us know your thoughts. We'll take a break and get uh, to your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Do you remember when you went to church and heard sermons that clearly set forth the New Testament plan of salvation? Can you recall when churches rang out with lessons that plainly exposed false teachers and false doctrines? Can you think back to a time when preachers and members of the church were set for the defense of the gospel? If you are craving to find a congregation that is like the church you can remember from years ago, like the church back in the first century, please visit the College View Church soon. They're trying hard to be a church just like the church you remember, like the one you read about in your Bible. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's a couple of quotes for you to ponder. Vince Lombardi said, It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. Albert Einstein said, In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Man, I wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're glad you're part of the program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. The phone line is open, 877-381-4567. Toll free. Give us a call and let us know your thoughts. Send them an email or in the chat room tonight as well. There's we have, a lot of chat in the chat room, yep. Jacob. And, of course, we haven't been able to monitor that while we were busy interviewing uh, Martin Thielen. But uh, I'm sure there's some really good stuff in there. I've just seen one recent comment by Eric in the chat room. He says, I want to believe that he's way off to the left, but sadly he's probably right when he says that his views are mainstream. I think so. I think. Uh, Don't you think that is mainstream denominational religion right there? It seems to be. Yeah, yeah. it seems to be. Uh, we want to hear from you tonight. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, the best way for your thoughts to be heard is on the phone tonight. Please give us a call. It's toll-free. We'd like to hear from you. Now, we... Uh, we appreciate uh, Mr. Thielen for being on the program with us, but, um, you know, his approach to the scriptures, just he talks about them struggling and grappling with issues with, with the view of scriptures that he holds and that so many in the religious world today hold, that the scriptures are not inerrant, that uh, he, he called it human involvement, sort of this, this sort of truth changes over time. You're going to struggle with not only homosexuality, you're going to struggle with murder, you're going to struggle with any biblical issue. You're never going to get there. Because you don't have an absolute standard to stand That's on. right. You talk about struggling. It's not a struggle. It's a capitulation. I mean, you're giving up. You, right. You've got nothing to stand on. You've got no right. solid ground to stand on. You know, at, at, to the question that we asked him about, would he, would he contend with Paul and tell him that, tell Paul, Paul, you missed it on these points, uh, Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14:37. He said, "If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord." Yeah, right. Paul, I mean, this Paul Paul himself denied that he was writing from his own human perspective. He said, "These are the commandments of the Lord," and and I I think we have to believe that. To the slavery question, the the New Testament does not endorse slavery; it regulates it. It actually regulated it out of existence among so-called Christian nations. And, oh, and we don't know what type of slaves we're talking about there when they're told to obey their masters. They may have been voluntary slave at the indentured servant where they're told to obey and honor their yeah. masters. But, but the fact of the matter is it didn't say God didn't ordain that slavery be so. He put rules in place to protect the interests of those who were slaves. Uh, and as I said, I think the principle set forth in the New Testament brought slavery to its end, uh, ultimately, uh, when they were at the more they were implemented uh, in, in various places in the world. Now, obviously, slavery still exists in many places, but in the places where the, 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 the New Testament will of Jesus Christ have had its most impact, uh, you don't find it anymore. All right, 877-381-4567, email questions at collegeview.com. Uh, his thoughts, his, uh, his approach, as Eric mentions, uh, is probably very common in the religious world today, perhaps more common than uh, we would think. Um, you, 
He believe, doesn't believe the Bible is inerrant. He does not accept some teachings that he thinks are contrary to the God that he wants to love and serve. Uh, for instance, he referenced a story in the Old Testament uh, where the children are eaten by uh, because they were uh, re- they had uh, not honored. An, it was, was it was Elisha. Okay. Elisha was a bald prophet, right. and some and, and some children were taunting him for his baldness. Right. And bears came and consumed. The, and he said that was folklore, fairy tale. But only the reason why was because it didn't uh, agree with the God that he thought he he could love and serve. Yeah. But Isaiah chapter fifty five verse eight and nine tells us that. Uh, God is different from whatever we could think about. It's it, God is uh, his thoughts are above our thoughts. Uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither uh, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's not relegated to what we think is right and just, and uh, what is the what is lovable. Uh, we are to adapt our thoughts to God's thoughts, not the other way around. Yeah, we were created in God's image, Genesis 1 says. God is not to be created in our image. Now, people have an idea of what they want God to be, and so they imagine that he is that way. You know, uh, most people want to imagine God to be like sort of a a very uh, docile, loving old grandfather. And, and the grandfather can never condemn his grandchildren. He loves them too much. He can never punish them. He can never even rebuke them. He just loves them so much. And a lot of people want to imagine that that is what God is like. And, and, and yet if the Bible means anything at all, that's not the full picture of God. God is a great and loving Heavenly Father. There's no greater manifestation of his love than in the fact that he sent his own begotten son to be the sacrifice to provide atonement for all of us miserable sinners. But the fact of the matter is God is also a God of justice and he does punish those who are disobedient. And if, if the Bible means anything at all, if, the, if words have meaning, then we have to accept that as part of the story. All right. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point, And we'll have time during the break for you to compose your thoughts in the chat room over email. Or better yet, to let your fingers do the walking and give us a call at 877-381-4567. I thought before we go to the break, though, Dad... Uh, the idea that uh, if you stand on the scriptures and you teach what the scriptures teach and you you do not equivocate, you say this is what the Bible teaches and it's there written for you in black and white, you're going to have enemies. You're not going to be popular. Your church, uh, that the church that you're a member of may not grow as, uh, as uh, his is growing. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Jesus was controversial in his day. If Jesus hadn't made any enemies, he wouldn't have been crucified. He was teaching the truth. People didn't like it because it called them out and said that you've got to change. And if we do the same today, we'll have the same response. Yeah, and the thing of it is everybody's going to draw the line somewhere. Martin Thielen draws the line somewhere with what he can and can't accept. So if you're going to draw the line somewhere... It just becomes arbitrary and completely obje- uh, uh, subjective unless you say, I want to draw the line where the Bible draws the line and, and, and take my stand there. All right. We want to hear your thoughts. We'll take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. According to a recent report by the Lichter-Rothman Group, 75% of all television programming is produced by about 700 people. A poll of their moral beliefs reveals the following. 86% seldom or never attend church services. 84% believe that government should have no laws regarding sexual conduct. 55% do not believe that adultery is wrong. It is little wonder that these 700 people are constantly attacking the moral values taught in the Bible and frequently ridicule the beliefs of those who follow the Bible as their guide. Now, our question to you is this. How much do you let these people influence the decisions you make? Specifically, do you let them dictate your choices in regard to the clothes that you wear, the language that you use, materialism and covetousness, your sexual conduct, your attitude towards social drinking, dancing, and other matters of morality? Jesus warned us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35. If we constantly take in the moral filth that is on TV, we should not be surprised to see that it is reflected in the way that we think and live. Christian, don't let this corrupting influence threaten your soul. Begin at once to exercise great caution concerning the programs that you and your children watch on TV. 
Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, think on these things. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the program tonight. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of it, and we look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567, toll free. Email questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room as we talk about what's the least I can believe and still be a Christian. We appreciate Martin Thielen from Lebanon, Tennessee, being on to talk about his new book. Uh, a very uh, inquisitive and uh, uh, engaging uh, subject title of his book there. We, uh, uh, it caught our attention, and uh, he lists some things that uh, he thinks you do not have to believe. We'll talk about those in a little while. Dad, earlier today you asked our listeners some questions. Yeah. Along these lines of what's the least I can believe is still be a Christian. Yeah, I asked some questions to our update list, and, and I want to try to cover these as quickly. We're going to run out of time pretty fast tonight. But the follow-up questions I asked, number two on the list was, do you believe that there are any biblical truths that a person can reject and be right with God? Uh, in other words, that's what the Bible says. I don't believe it. Can you do that? Let's talk about that. Uh, what, 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 can, what can you can you do that on any of them? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, number three, do disagreements, even among sincere, devoted Christians, indicate that we just have to allow people to basically believe whatever they choose to believe? And number four, how much Bible knowledge must one have before obeying the gospel? We may not have time to discuss that one thoroughly, but that's kind of an interesting question. How much do I have to know? If, in other words, I want to be baptized. I want to become a Christian. What are the minimum marks I have to hit in understanding? I don't think any of us would argue you have to know everything in the Bible. Because if that's the case, then none of us are there yet. We're right. still learning. Right. So how much do I have to know? We may have to hold that for another discussion, Jacob. But uh, before we get to those questions, I, uh, Anthony, uh, I don't know if you can throw up the charts. We've got some charts that show these ten things that Martin Thielen says Christians don't need to believe. And this, I guess, Jacob, the thing that bothers me is I think we're misrepresented here. He talked. He, he's contrasting himself to what he calls the extremist fundamentalist religious right, yep. and I'm sure that would include us. I'm not ashamed to be in that camp. Yep. But what often happens when we try to describe things? I mean, I, I'm sure I do this too. But I think he's done this. You build straw men. They're, they're not. They're not. They're not true to the facts. And so let's go through this list real quickly. Uh, Number one, he says, you don't have to believe that God causes cancer, car wrecks, and other catastrophes. Although God can and does bring good results out of tragedy, God does not cause tragic events to occur. I don't think that God does that either. Well, I, He has. God he has, has brought calamity on people in the past, but I don't think every time somebody gets cancer, God caused that to be, or every time there's a car wreck. But God does punish evildoers, and perhaps it is a punishment from God. But we can't say. We can't say. You know, the, the terrible catastrophe that's hit Japan. You know, there'd be some people who'd be ready to jump on the bandwagon and say, right. God sent that earthquake and tsunami on Japan. Sure. I'm not ready to do that. I don't think we can conclude that. Right. Uh, some things just happen naturally, and, and so we just have to leave that. as under, But we're but, not saying that God sends these punishments on various people. We're not in that position to know. Okay. All right. Go ahead. He says, number two, good Christians don't doubt. Doubt is not the enemy of faith, but part of authentic Christianity. What do you think about that? Well, I think we all have to question what we believe and and make and, 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 confer, and confirm our faith. I, I would not disagree with that. I think all of us have some doubts that we work through okay. trying to get to the point of stronger faith. All I right. mean, if, unless you have perfectly strong faith. Doubt is the opposite of faith, so all of us have some doubt if our faith's not perfect. All right. The next one is interesting. True. So one and two really don't describe us. Okay. Number three, true Christians can't believe in evolution. Science and faith are fully compatible, and theistic evolution is a perfectly acceptable Christian belief. It's interesting that he says true Christians can't believe in evolution. We would believe that that is true, a true statement. He says it's a false statement. We believe it is true. But his, his uh, other description of that is science and faith are fully compatible. My question about that is, have science and faith always been fully compatible, or are they just fully compatible today? Because science has changed throughout time. Faith has not. And there was a time in which people said that the earth was uh, supported on the back of a strong man who was standing on a turtle. That was what science taught at one time. Faith never taught that. In, faith, in fact, faith said uh, the earth was suspended on nothing, and it, 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 and it has always said that. 
were science and faith fully compatible in, the, in those days, or is it just today that science and faith are fully compatible? Yeah, that's the point. He says science. Well, you got to define science. Science when? Yeah. At what point and with what teaching? As yeah. you said, faith is unchanging. So again, but again, we believe that, of course, and again, it also even depends on how you define evolution. We believe in specific evolution. We also believe in the general theory of evolution. So okay. it all depends on what he's talking about. Yeah, that's a little bit too vague for us to be sure. He says, number four, women can't be preachers and must submit to men. Uh, women, uh, you, in other words, he's saying you don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe that women can't be preachers. And, and, and you don't have to believe that women must submit to men. Women are fully equal of men in marriage, in church, and in society. Uh, that's not what the New Testament says. Again, we're going to have to disregard plain statements in the Scripture if we're going to come to that conclusion. Now, the way that he does that, I think, is is uh, at the root of the problem. He disregards those Scriptures because they don't choose to teach what he wants them to teach. Therefore, that's just Paul's social, cultural bias coming through when he says women can't be preachers. Wives have to submit to their husbands. Uh, I'm not ready to do that. The Bible is very plain on that. I'm I'm either believe it or not believe it. All right. Okay. Number five, God cares about saving souls, but not about saving trees. He says you don't have to believe that. God cares about personal. No, you're right. He said God cares about personal salvation and social justice, and so should God's church. We talked about uh, this in the past. In fact, we uh, had a program uh, probably two or three years ago, maybe more than that, three three or four years ago now, in which uh, uh, someone had written a book or was making a, a uh, movement uh, that you could serve God and stop global warming. You might look in our archives about that, but we had an interesting discussion about that, and we do believe that God tells us we should be you, responsible stewards of I, the environment. I think most Christians that I know of are environmentalists in the sense that they don't want to see the environment abused. They're not what sometimes referred to on talk radio as uh, environmental, what do they call them? Uh, tree huggers? Yeah, trigger huggers is a term. Uh, dirt people, I've heard that term used. I don't think most Christians are that, but most so, Christians don't want to see. You know, they're not environmental wackos. I guess that's what Rush Limbaugh calls them. We want the we want to see the earth preserved. We're not in the business of abusing the earth. Okay, yeah, you might check our archives if you're interested in uh, the discussion on that. Uh, we had uh, serve God, stop global warming. I think was the the title of the program. If you want to look in our archives, his point number six is bad people will be left behind and then fry in hell. You don't have to believe that, he says. Well, well we don't believe part of that. Yeah, we don't believe that. He says the left behind rapture theology is neither biblical nor historical Christian belief. And I'd say amen to that. I don't believe it's biblical. He says it should be left behind by mainline and moderate evangelical Christians. Well, we're leaving it behind. We don't believe in that left behind rapture theology. It's not in the Bible. I like how he said it should be left behind. Yeah, Yeah, it should be. And we agree. We agree about that. That's good. But we do believe that bad people are going to be punished in hell if they don't repent. In other words, he's denying the reality. Basically, that statement means he denies the reality of hell. You know who it was who said more about hell than anybody else, Jacob? Jesus. Jesus Christ. All right. And and he does believe that we need to believe what Jesus taught. And so uh, we would have to believe in hell. Number seven, the, there's one we question him about. Jews won't make it to heaven. Now, we do believe there will be a lot of Jews in heaven. Uh, Jews that lived under the Old Testament dispensation prior to Christ uh, uh, establishing the new covenant. Uh, we the believe faithful those, ones, anyway. The faithful ones, right. Um, but uh, today, can you still be a Jew and uh, be pleasing to God? De- deny that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Mm-hmm, yep. You know, uh, I wanted to say this, and I didn't get around to saying it to when, when we had Martin Thielen on the line. His position basically says Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus died unnecessarily, because you can be saved without Jesus dying for your sin. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> a few months ago, I was, we were down in Georgia, and uh, we were eating at a restaurant, and the table across from us, there were two older gentlemen there talking about how God still loves Jews. He still loves Israel. They said, if you look at people on Wall Street, they're all Jewish. Uh, all the prominent businessmen, all the wealthy financial people, they're Jewish. God loves Jews and Israel, and he's blessing them still today. And I couldn't take it anymore. I, I asked the guys, I said, how in the world could God love people who denied Jesus being his son? And they, they had no answer for it. But that's, that's what... Uh, Mr. Thielen's saying here as well, that you can deny that Jesus is the Son of God. You can say that God is a liar, and you can still be pleasing to him. It just does not equate. Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Number eight, everything in the Bible should be taken literally. 
Although we must always take the Bible seriously, we don't always have to take it literally. You know, we don't believe that everything in the Bible is literal. We believe that there's figurative language in the Bible. Sure. You've got to be smart enough to, to distinguish between what is literal. But I really think when he says that, he's saying the Bible doesn't have to be taken literally. When it says that women can't be preachers, you don't have to take that literally. Now, he's not talking about the difference between literal and figurative language. He's talking about the fact that you don't have to literally take the Bible, the plain statements of the Bible, for what they mean. So we'd have a difference there. All right. Number nine, God loves straight people, but not gay people. All persons, including homosexual persons, are welcome in God's church. However, beyond that, mine line and moderate churches are not of one mind on this issue. For now, welcoming but not affirming best describes most mainline churches, and the discussion goes on. We believe and we agree that God loves straight people. Uh, I'm sorry. We believe that God loves straight people and gay people, as does Mr. Thielen. Yeah. Uh, but he he agreed that he's he's got some issues about whether or not you can approve of homosexual conduct. The Bible's very clear on that. And he wanted he wanted to say, well, that comes from the Old Testament that has instructions in it that we don't obey. How come we're taking the homosexual condemnation from the Old Testament and not the things that say, for instance, you shouldn't have a garment made out of two different kinds of cloth? Well, we're not going to the Old Testament to get our conclusions about whether homosexuality is accepted or not. We're going to the New Testament in passages like Romans chapter 1 and so forth. He says all persons, including homosexual persons, are welcome in God's church. That is absolutely true. And homosexual persons were welcomed in God's church in the first century. I misquoted 1 Corinthians 5. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 6, 9 through 11, where uh, homosexuals in the first century were part of the church Formal homosexuals, they had they, repented. They were. They had been. That's right. And they had repented. All right. And number and number 10. Number 10, you don't have to believe that it's okay for Christians to be judgmental and obnoxious. True Christians leave judgment to God. We agree. Christians should not be judgmental and obnoxious. We should let God's word do the judging. But, you know, a verse that has to come to play in that is in John chapter 7, uh, In John chapter 7 at verse 24, Jesus said, this is an instruction, this is a command from Jesus, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We've we've got to make judgment. Paul was doing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, for I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have judged already. Uh, Paul had made decisions. He had judged based upon what the scriptures teach. He determined what was right and wrong in that situation. And he was teaching it to others. We've got to do the same if we're going to be pleasing to God. Yeah. All right, we need to take a break. And when we get back, we'll get into some of those questions that you posed to our listeners earlier today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts, let us know. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We go to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgarner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we welcome you back to the program tonight. Uh, we want to hear from you. 877-381-4567. 
questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is open as well. We'll try and work in some of these comments tonight. As we talk about uh, Martin Thielen's new book, What's the Least You Can Believe and Still Be a Christian? What's the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian? Uh, what Matters Most, I think, is the following part of that uh, title. Uh, we appreciate him for joining us on the program tonight. What do you think? Uh, what do you have to know to be a Christian? Do you have to agree with what the Scriptures teach in order to be a Christian? Real quickly, we ask, do you believe that there are any biblical truths that a person can reject and be right with God? In other words, can you say, well, that's what it says, but I don't, I will, I refuse to accept that as being so. I don't believe it. Uh, Paul sent an email in in which he said, I believe there are times when we must learn and study and mature more and to learn more perfectly the truths found within God's word. However, I do not believe that we can read clearly taught truths and just say, oh, I don't believe that. It is to call the Holy Spirit a liar. And he references 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, John 17, 17. I I think that's right on. I think Paul's comment there is is dead on. Uh, there, There are things that I don't understand properly. And therefore, there may be and, and likely are things that the Bible teaches that I'm not in agreement with yet because I hadn't figured it out yet. I'm still studying. But when I come when I come to a, a plainly taught truth and and it's not is it's not written in code, I can comprehend it when I comprehend what that says. I don't believe that I can just say out of hand. I refuse to believe that that I, I refuse to accept that as being so. I, I agree with Paul. That's making the Holy Spirit a liar. I think Paul was talking about it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, where he said, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The idea is that we've got some growing to do until we come into that harmony with Christ and his truth. But it is not an allowance for there to be a divergence of, of, of understanding and uh, practice on what Christ has taught us. We're growing and accepting and learning those things but uh, if we were to accept to Mr. Thielen's approach, we could all just take different views and we'd have to say that that's unity, but it simply is not according to the scriptures. Exactly right. Uh, uh, again, we're still learning, but, but I don't think that we can say it's okay to just ignore what you know. That leads to the, sec- to the next question that we, we posed. Do disagreements, even among sincere, devoted Christians, indicate that we must allow people to basically believe what they choose to believe? In other words, uh, there, there's obviously, for instance, disagreement on, for instance, the homosexual question. Right. People uh, who claim to be religious are di- disagreeing on it. Yeah. Or, was... or women teachers. Or, or even among those who are more conservative, there, there, are, there are differences. I mean, legitimate differences people have, for instance, on the war question. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, can a Christian serve in the military? That sort of thing. Acknowledging that those differences exist on a question like the military question, even among sincere devoted Christians, there there's disagreement there. Does that mean that, well, we're just not going to be able to agree? And so we just have to back off and let people believe whatever they want. I, I mean, that would be one reaction to that reality. But I, I think the better reaction is, hey, let's, let's keep working at it. There's the only one... There, there, there should only be one legitimate answer to, to that question. Let's keep striving for it. If you believe the Bible is not an absolute standard, though, an absolute truth, you would have to say, well, there's proof. But if you believe it's an absolute truth, an absolute standard, then you would have to have the approach that Paul recommends in his uh, answer to your question. He says disagreements on, among sincere, devoted Christians just shows a need for everyone to continue to study. When we disagree, if there's an obvious standard and we are in disagreement, that does that means both of us cannot be right by default. So therefore, we need to continue to study until we line up with what the truths of the Scriptures teach. You know, I, I remember back in school, Jacob, if we were, if we had a math assignment, and and maybe maybe it was pretty some pretty tough math we're working on. And so we've been given this problem, and you and I are working on this problem, and we come to a different answer. I look at your answer. Your answer is not the same as my answer. Oh, well, we'll just have to, uh, we'll just have to let it be so. You, uh, well, that, we, there's no way to know who's right, so we'll just have to leave them. Yeah. We knew when we were doing math there was a right answer to this question. Right. And if we're not getting that same answer, the, the, the very fact that we have different answers indicates, as we often say, either you're wrong or I'm wrong or we're both wrong, but we both can't be right because this answer has to be the same if we're right. All right, John in the chat room asks, if a certain belief uh, results in commission of sin, then how could we continue to work in fellowship with that brother? And we would agree if, if, uh, if, 
if I'm not willing to accept the truth of the gospel and I'm committing sin, then there has to be some uh, some separation from that, and uh, we can't continue to fellowship those who will not accept the truth of the gospel. Exactly right. Okay. All right. Then we have one more question. Maybe we got time to, to touch this. Maybe we can touch the hem of this garment. Uh, we asked the question, how much Bible knowledge, how much Bible knowledge must one have before obeying the gospel? All right. Uh, uh, and our point there is, you know, so so here's somebody who wants to become a Christian. They, they want to obey the gospel. Uh how much do they have to know? How much did you have to know before you became a Christian? And so you're sort of asked, what's the least I can believe? Well, yeah, what's the least I can believe and still be a Christian? All right, I think in a way that is not an absolutely off-the-wall question because we do. There, there are, some, I think, some necessary minimums that a person has to attain to, to, to know, to believe and accept, before they can obey the gospel in Romans chapter six. Well, before you get to Romans chapter six, let's uh, the chat room that will be your uh, your quickest avenue to comment on that. What's the least you need to know before you become a Christian? Uh, send in your thoughts in the chat room tonight as we wrap up the program. Romans chapter six verse seven says, "God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered you. Being made then free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness." Paul speaks of obeying from the heart. I can't obey from the heart what I don't know and understand in my heart. I think obedience from the heart implies knowledge and an act of the will to comply with that knowledge. If, if that weren't so, uh, what I've often said is if you don't have to know what you're doing when you are baptized, for instance, what we ought to do is just get a, a, a big truck with a huge tank of water on the back. We'll drive up and down the streets of the city. We'll grab everybody. We'll just manhandle them. We'll have several strong-armed men. And we'll grab them and throw them in that tank of water and baptize them and then claim that they're saved from their sins. I don't, nobody believes that. So everybody agrees that there's some basic knowledge and then the will to comply with what you've learned. to know enough to obey from the heart. To obey from Let the heart. Let your thoughts in the so chat what, room in so, the final moments of the program tonight. You've got to obey from the heart. You've got to at least know enough to obey from the heart. But uh, let me ask you a question, Dad. When you became a Christian, did you agree or did you believe everything that you believe today? Absolutely not. So so I, I, what I'm saying is we think that there are some minimums, but what are they? And how would you teach? I like John. John's got a good starting place here uh, in the chat room. He says a person needs to know why to be saved, how to be saved, what it means to be saved, and the cost of being saved. That would be a good start. I like that. I, like that. I think that could be really expanded upon. All right. Uh, Paul says there are minimums, but then growing in grace and knowledge. He references Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, Eric references Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and John 20, verse 31 in his. Uh, Hebrews 11, 6 says, He that cometh uh, cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. John 20, 31 speaks of the things that were written so that we could believe. Read, read. Oh, yeah, John twenty thirty one says, but uh, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. And so we've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I and I, this might be a discussion worthy of a whole hour on the virtual Bible study at some point, Jacob. But I, I I've maintained that I've got to know, I've got to understand that I'm lost in sin, and that salvation is in Christ. In other words, I, I got to know. That by becoming a Christian, it's it's going to affect what's happened in the past in my life. It's for the forgiveness of you sins. You've got to realize you're lost. You've got to realize I'm lost and that I'm doing these things for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 says that they were to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That's what we have to do. So I've got to know that I'm in sin and that I need the remission of sins. So I've got to know that my past needs addressed. But I also need to know that upon becoming a Christian, it puts me into a relationship that has both blessings and obligations. Jesus taught count the cost. You remember, he, he said, you know, you've got to count the cost. He, he made the, the, the lesson of the man who starts to build a tower and he doesn't have enough money to finish it. He should have thought before he began whether he'd be able to finish what he started. And so that suggests that my obedience from the heart necessitates that I understand the commitment and the obligation and that i'm accepting the responsibilities that go along with the blessings that come by being a christian all right uh well eric uh anthony has been behind the controls tonight and uh anthony uh, your thoughts about the discussion well yeah i think you know i think the the main issue that um 
you know, that our guest has is his approach to the scriptures, because without, as, as you guys have aptly pointed out, without uh, the belief that the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and are the absolute standard, then anything goes. And once you open that Pandora's box, then you can't, you know, anything goes. So uh, you can't really say one thing is right or one thing is wrong. And you are going to continually so-called grapple with these issues but who's to say when you come down on one side whether that's right or wrong? So that to me is at the crux of the issue and, and really causes, you know, that causes chaos. What you're yeah. saying, Anthony, is once you once you open up the door and you say that's what the Scriptures teach but that's not what the Scriptures mean, then you, can, you can't stop. Anthony, you like to play soccer, but we can't play together if we don't agree upon the rules, uh, the boundaries, and so forth. There's certain necessary things. If you, and and the problem that that uh, uh, Martin Thielen is grappling with is that he is not we're not on this in the same rule book we can't play by the same rules so how can we agree? Right. Good discussion tonight, uh, Dad. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And by the way, Anthony Anthony tipped us off on this subject, so thanks, Anthony, for a good lead on I think an important discussion. No problem. Yeah, I'm glad it all worked out. All right. Uh, well, we appreciate you for being on the other end of the line tonight. If you have any questions about the things we've said, let us know your thoughts. Uh, send us an email anytime. Give us a call anytime. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study his inspired word of the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.